This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. It is Bryce and Ren here, co-founders of Equity Mates Media, and we're here to announce our IPO. That's right. Equity Mates' initial party offering is here FinFest is coming. We're calling all bulls, bears, and party animals. The market's closed, the bar is open, and we're trading ideas at Australia's biggest investing festival. With expert speakers, special guests, DJs, and booze, it's an inspiring and empowering event for investors of any level of experience. So save the date, 15th of October, 2022. Head to equitymates.com slash FinFest to register your interest today. Equitymates FinFest is powered by Stake. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. I'm very excited for this interview. Uh, one of the, I'm going to say, most inspiring fund managers we've had on the show. Uh, mm. One of the interviews where I really remembered why I love investing. Mm. We spoke about uh, some of the best-known companies, the Teslas, the Spotify's of the world. Uh, we, we spoke to this expert last year. Obviously, some of those names have sold off a little bit from there. So we've got him back on to talk about it and hopefully get inspired all over again. <laughs> That's it. Uh, our audience have been asking for this one and, and it is our pleasure to welcome back to the studio, Tim Samway. Tim, welcome. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, guys. So Tim is the chairman of uh, Hyperion Asset Management. They're an Aussie-based fund manager focused on buying the highest quality companies at reasonable valuations. Hyperion manages approximately $13 billion, including in the interests of disclosure and my co-host Ren here, uh, you're in on the fund. I am, yes. (laughs) Loves what Tim is doing. So no pressure, Tim, on this interview. Ren will be picking your brains. (laughs) (laughs) Hyperion's Global Growth Companies Managed Fund is ASX listed. HYGG is the ticker and over the past five years has returned 25% per annum, beating the MSCI World Accumulation Index by 9% per annum. So... Yeah, it's been pretty fascinating, but we are here today today to talk to Tim about uh, what's going on in markets and particularly the, the uh, I guess, the fall in the, some of the growth stocks in the fund and, and how you're, you're viewing it all, Tim. So, Ren, let's kick off. 
Yeah, let's let's start broad and then uh, we'll get into some of the specific company names. Um, Tim, let's say uh, you, you've just come back uh, from Canada where uh, you weren't working. Let's say, uh, you know, Bryce and I have been in Canada for six months, haven't looked at markets, haven't picked up our phones or opened a laptop. And then we come back and the market is what it is now. How would you explain or how would you summarize what we've seen over the past six or 12 months? So, you know, I think I'll go out on a limb and say we're actually now post-pandemic, even though there's cases, I think it's uh, post-pandemic. And so um, there's been a plethora of uh, demand and, and short-term growth as a result of all that government stimulus. The process of supply catching up with demand uh, has resulted in um, shortages and, and bottlenecks. We've seen uh, you know, wage increases as as employers chase scarce employees. It's fair to say that the lack of Im- you know the lack of immigration on the last two years uh, hasn't helped, and freight costs have gone through the roof. So you know and that's added to the cost of goods. So the oil price has spiked as OPEC has restricted supply, and and, and there's now an extra surge due to the war that's unfolding in Ukraine. That's basically the resulting fears of a, you know, a Russian oil and gas disruption. So they've caused a spike in inflation. And the fear is that that inflation will get out of control. So it's fear. Basically, it's fear, fear of inflation. And central banks normally respond to inflation threats with um, interest rate rises. And there are companies with long-term earnings growth prospects, the sort of companies that, that, that we buy, Let's group them into a bucket, I guess, called growth stocks. These are companies that are still building their competitive positions so that the big cash flows will come in the future. So, you know, not so profitable now, but very profitable in the future. And those companies are very sensitive to uh, long-term interest rates. Higher interest rates, all other things being equal, means uh, lower valuations and prices you know, share prices for those companies due to the long duration of the valuation. So a change in interest rates really uh, affects valuation much more when you're looking out over 10 years, you know, rather than, you know, just the next couple of years. That's sort of the compounding effect. Uh, Rather than a company like a value stock where everybody's only looking out the next couple of years and perhaps mean reverting the the earnings and, and, and there's some uncertainty. We like cyclicals, for example, you know, company that can do well for the next couple of years. Um, and that's why we've seen such a big rotation from, um, uh, from growth companies to value companies since, uh, let me think, the last, you know, the end of November. Um, but interestingly, um, there hasn't been a large rotation uh, in the flows from investments into growth funds into value funds. So it kind of tells me that there's this is not such a this is a short-term trade rather than a, a long-term secular trend. That is, there's a hell of a lot of people thinking there's a trade in this. Let's let's make the trade. Mm. Mm. I guess that that would be my summary of you know what's happened in the last four months anyway. <laughs> <laughs> there's always a lot going on, particularly at the moment. But look, Tim, as a, yeah. a, a long-term investor. You sort of have your average holding period of 10 years for companies in your portfolio and you mentioned there that you're really playing in that growth stage. So how are you approaching this sell-off at the moment um, and thinking about the companies that are in the fund? Well, I mean, uh, no, we, we haven't changed. Like We're not a leopard. We don't change our spots. Um, it's an opportunity to build positions in 
outstanding businesses that are being sold off on macro fears. Um, I'd argue that a lot of its sentiment, well, I'm assuming we're going to get to some companies in a bit, so I'll talk to some of the results we've seen in earnings season, but um, I think a lot of the fears that are causing this sell-off are actually unlikely to eventuate. Um, and certainly, I mean, some of them will, there, there's some steps along the way, but like not to the extent that everybody is fearing. But having said that, um, we have reduced our cash holdings. We've invested in our strongest names for the long term because, hey, that's what clients pay us to do. So removing investor behaviour is really, this is the time where actually sticking to your process and not getting into that investor, that natural investor behaviour uh, is very important. So um, I'll talk about some of the stocks we've sold down and the reasons we've done so, and uh, but we'll get to that, I'm sure. Yeah. Let's move to, I guess, some of those individual names. But I want to frame this part of the conversation in a guide to long-term investing that we came across on Hyperion's website uh, titled Investing in a Winner-Takes-All World. So as we, yeah. get, as we get to the individual names, the companies that uh, you hold in your portfolio, I'd love to sort of frame the conversation in this winner-takes-all world concept. And uh, I guess sure. to start with, can you explain why we're in a winner-takes-all world and how does that sort of inform your view of long-term growth investing? Sure. So, okay, how do I put this? So in, in any sector, there'll be companies of varying quality. So, and, and normally the variances in the quality and the duration of their earnings will take be taken into account by the market and uh, expressed as the current price. In some sectors, however, one company can create a competitive advantage, a sustainable competitive advantage that creates what's called a power law relationship between it and all the other companies. And what I mean by that is it's, it's not a term that I guess everybody would have come along the expression power law, but it's when one participant in some particular market accrues a very substantial proportion of the market share or the revenue particularly of a market and the other, all the other participants fight it out for second place. In a way, it's a bit like sport. So um, uh, say take a, a sport like tennis, like men's and women's professional tennis perhaps, where the same few players seem to win most of the tournaments, they win most of the prize money, they get most of the sponsorships. But if you actually watch a lot of tennis, you realise they actually only win by a couple of points every time. You know, it's, there might be a game or two in it. But the same people tend to win most of it because they've got that lead. That, and they, they win a dis, disproportionately larger amount of the winnings than the loser. And it's the same principle with the companies. So, so identifying businesses that can become a winner takes most business is essentially uh, Hyperion's goal. Um, and a lot of people spend a lot of time talking about network effects and platform businesses and new age businesses that use data, you know, really effectively to satisfy customer needs particularly um, as a way of identifying. But actually, you know, in spite of the fact that the network effect, for example, is very powerful and I'll certainly talk about that. But the reality is it's about finding businesses with very durable competitive advantages. And one of the best competitive advantages we find is a great product, like a very superior product where a company is spending a disproportionately larger amount than their competitors on keeping that product ahead of the rest of the, the market. So it's reinvesting to maintain that superiority and 
because of that superiority, uh, they end up in a position where they attract the capital, they attract the intellectual capital, particularly in these tech, uh, IT, you know, database businesses. And so it enables them just to stay one step ahead and also it gives them optionality, that is, um, you know, the ability to start other businesses. It's sort of the, for want of a better word, it's the Amazon effect. You know, it's like we're relentlessly trying to come up with new ideas. Oh, look, here's our Amazon Web Services. Let's start that. Wow, it's basically delivering most of the profit of the company now, you know, that sort of thing. So, Tim, let's take a look at some of your top holdings. And when we last Mm -hmm. spoke Tesla was the largest holding in your fund. Uh, firstly, yeah. is this still the case? And then do you still think that Tesla is the winner takes all? Hmm. So uh, <laughs> no, no change. It is still the largest holding. Um, and, and that's in spite of the fact that, um, that car manufacturers all around the world are really pushing very hard to, um, to produce EVs. Um, they actually possess that first mover advantage. And it's not just in the car, it's actually every part of the supply chain and the car. So it's it's the batteries, it's the motors, it's the software, it's the distribution, it's the cost of production, the margins. Um, and they've only just started to ramp up production. They're about to open you know, two new factories and they've got unmet demand, that is, they're outselling other EVs just all around the world. I've just been in Canada. I was in Vancouver. It's just ridiculous how many Teslas are driving around the city. I mean, every fourth car seems to be a Tesla. And it's the first time I've actually stood in front of a Model uh, Model Y and had a good look at it because they're not out here yet. And I just thought, oh, I love that car. That's a terrific-looking car. It's like a little <laughs> Model X um, and, you know, it's just not, not a monster. So... So, yeah, so they're opening new factories in US and, and Texas and in Berlin, and that should help them cement their position. I mean, the work they're doing on, on self-driving, full self-driving is groundbreaking. They're the leader in using artificial intelligence and cameras to use the car. So most other manufacturers are looking at using some mixture of technology, LiDAR and cameras, and it's just outstanding what they've been able to produce. And the argument I mean, this is the argument for podcasts. I must admit, I've listened to a couple of podcasts recently where Musk was interviewed and it just cemented in my mind how far ahead they are than everybody else because they're really doing fabulous stuff. I mean, if you doubt me, go to YouTube and look up, um, what would you look up? Full self-driving Tesla. I think the latest beta is 10.9, beta 10.9. And watch some of the videos of people driving around in American city with um, you know, f- effectively full self-driving, it's the artificial intelligence is 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 so well developed that it can actually take into account modifications from what's actually um, on a map, for example. So it's reading the road and quite complex changes. So if I had to summarize it, it I, I you know I'm not trying to be insulting to my um, now 18 year old daughter uh, because she's a fabulous driver now, but when I was teaching her how to drive. Tesla's now would be about the same level as a 17-year-old, her at about a month after she started driving. That is, um, you know, most driving fine. She can drive around the town. She can do left turns, right turns. But every now and then something happens. You know, there's a car parked in the left lane. You're turning left at a lights and they're illegally parked there. 
and she drives up behind it and I say, darling, that's that's a parked car. They're not turning left. The blinker's not on. <laughs> you need to go around them. Yeah. Or quick, floor it. We can get around here. You know, like that's the part they're working on. But if you actually listen to some um, podcasts with uh, Andre Carpathy, who's um, I think he's the senior director of senior director of AI with uh, Tesla. The, they're actually using AI to train AI with auto labeling. I mean, it's just mind blowing how <laughs> how they are advancing the use of cameras and artificial intelligence. What's the point of this? Well, robo taxis are just going to just going to disrupt every part of the transport industry. Like it'll be from everything from the, your normal drive, your daily drive to uh, to buses and to trains, uh, it'll just disrupt them completely. It, I mean, you know, I own a Tesla and all it needs is an over-the-air upgrade uh, to become a robo-taxi and mm. work all day on my behalf. Good yeah. luck with that one, Volkswagen. We uh, we yeah. we featured a couple of clips from recent earnings calls. Uh, one from uh, Tesla, where Elon said he thinks that the self-driving update might be the biggest increase in asset value of any asset class in history. Uh, and then we featured uh, the GM CEO who thinks their self-driving taxis will be a fifty billion dollar a year business by the end of the decade. So. It's pretty exciting how yeah. fast all, all of this is coming down the pike. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I bet on Elon getting there first, though. Yeah, well, he said he said I think went off script and said he thinks it will be this year. Wow. So <laughs> classic. He's always yeah. 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 things it early. It doesn't matter whether it's this year or next year. I reckon it's you know it's so close that you can almost touch it. So yeah, anyway. yeah. Now we just have to be able to afford. That's why a Tesla. we still hold it. It's it's underpriced in our view. And that's not investment advice, just to get out some fun. <laughs> that, that, we're going to be speaking about a lot of individual stocks, so that's an important disclaimer to put across everything. We could talk yeah. Tesla all day, but let's move on yeah. to um, some of the next biggest holdings in your fund. And if we're framing this conversation in looking for long-term winner-takes-all stocks, then the next three big companies in your fund are well and truly winner-takes-all companies. Microsoft, Amazon, and Alphabet, they've taken all and then some in their respective markets. So I'm not going to ask you how they're going to keep you know, winning. What, what I want to ask you is the opposite. What What's the risk when you look at those three giants, trillion-dollar companies dominant in their respective markets? Yeah. What, what could mm. cause a Facebook-like 50% drop from all-time highs? What are what keeps yeah. you up at night about these companies? Well, I thought this earnings, and I should correct you that the uh, our biggest three holdings today are Amazon Block and uh, Microsoft. Okay. So we've actually uh, lowered our weighting in uh, in Alphabet, Google, uh, and that's because the data restrictions they're facing as a result of the changes to iOS by Apple and the privacy changes. So I'll keep my comments to Amazon Block and, and Microsoft. So the biggest risk for all of them is um, that they take off, take their eye off the ball in their current product and spend too much time improving the future product, you know, the Horizon 2 and the Horizon 3 businesses. That's going to be, I think, their biggest challenge. Now, we've seen that with Meta, and I will cover off on that in a second too because that's that used to be a 12% holding a couple of years in our in our portfolio and it's now a 2 and 2.5% 2 holding. Wow. And the very reason it is that is because we think Meta, Facebook has 
put too much time and effort into the future, but, you know, we might cover that in a minute anyway. But so first mover advantages and network effects are really powerful, but you can lose them if uh, the competitors leapfrog your product or service. So, you know, we like all those three businesses um, for their levels of optionality, you know, as a result of uh, ridiculous cash flows, their retraction of intellectual capital, as I said before, and they're just their general culture of, of innovation. But they have to keep producing great current product because um, I think that's the concern, for example, with Meta. You know, Facebook and Instagram are super powerful platforms with billions, billions of monthly active users. But a focus on the metaverse and uh, taking the eye off the ball on the existing product has allowed TikTok to steal, you know, a billion users, a billion users. <laughs> so right under the nose of them. So, you know, like that's your, that's your challenge. Yeah. Mm. And that's our greatest fear is that a business that's got a great network effect, defend beautifully defendable one, loses trust or, you know, and that could be the Facebook problem or, or just spends too much time on the future and not enough time on the current. So some of Hyperion's positions um, have been swept up in the growth sell-off, um, no surprises, mm. but we'd love to do a very quick speed round where we throw out some of the companies and you let us know, yeah. uh, one, if the sell-off has actually affected your view of the company and then mm. two, um, how they will be a winner-takes-all uh, company in sort of 30 seconds or less if possible. So yeah. let's start with PayPal, which is down roughly about 66%. Um, has it? Uh, has your view changed? Is it still a winner takes all? Okay, so all-time highs are not good starting points. It's called anchoring. That's classic investor behavior <laughs> to find historical <laughs> reference points and measure the current situation against it. Like really, saying PayPal's down 66% from its high is actually no different from saying it's up 155% since listening. <laughs> However, nice. for the sake of the conversation, uh, we can agree it's fallen, okay? On all, you know, you're going to ask me a bunch of these questions, so I'll just I'll, I'll draw conclusions about its future because we can't do anything about the past. So Meta and PayPal are the only two disappointments in our portfolio in the last four months. PayPal uh, lost some focus on its core business and it was a miss on, um, on, on the number of new accounts. They've got a fabulous opportunity to monetize 426 million uh, active accounts, and that includes 34 million uh, merchants. Um, it's got a great first mover advantage. Uh, so the future looks good, but I think the fall has much more to do with sentiment and macro factors that I referred to earlier than mm. a terrible result. So while we've let the weight fall in the portfolio with the, the price fall, uh, we're not a seller. Well, let's move, and we won't talk about all-time highs again. I, uh, uh, <laughs> but let's let's move to Block. Uh, now the owner of uh, Afterpay. Um, what are your thoughts yeah. on them? Yeah. Are they going to be a winner? A winner takes all. Uh, it's been operating in a in an information vacuum since November. It's been nothing. Um, when they finally put their result out the other day, it went up forty percent in a day. Like oh, this is madness. Wow. And then it's back again macro factors at work. This is just the, the thesis on block hasn't changed. Mm. It's a modernization of banking, stealing market share from, you know, incumbent banks. The thesis also applies to Visa and MasterCard, although the upside is not as considerable as with block and, and PayPal. And that's why we have Visa and MasterCard at smaller weights. But no, the thesis hasn't changed. There you go, under 30 seconds. Nice, nice. perfect. 
Um, so we've spoken about Meta, a company that splits our opinion in the group. So let's just move to Spotify. Well, I should say on Meta, okay. they need to bring their focus back to the advertising business. You know, they, they took staff and moved them to reality labs. <laughs> they need to keep focusing on, on the rivers of gold, which is advertising. Keep going. Sorry. I've just, I <laughs> no. felt like I should. Good commentary. Good commentary. Good commentary. <laughs> so uh, a- another one that's been making headlines, Spotify. Uh, Love Spotify. Nice. How, well, that's all you need to say. <laughs> what are your thoughts? I mean, yeah, look, that was a surprisingly good fourth quarter result uh, with good user growth. Uh, the margins were improving. Revenue was up 20-something percent, 23 25%. Uh, monthly active users up to 400 and something, I forget the number, 405, 406 million active users. They're on a target to reach a billion users. All the signposts are good, no change to our view. Yeah, and then uh, the final one, one that isn't really present in our lives in Australia but gets so no. much buzz in, um, I, I guess, the investing world, uh, Roku. What are your thoughts? Mm. So the shift to um, the shift to on demand from um, linear or physical content continues, and Roku, Roku sits at the heart of that. Its competitive advantage is uh, largely derived from the data it collects. I mean, seriously, it can deliver advertising based on age, sex, where you are, what you're watching. That's really powerful. It's the market leader by a big margin um, and the data keeps it there. No change to our thesis. The, the drop is sentiment. Mm, it's an interesting it's an opportunity. It's an interesting company. Um, but look, there are plenty of companies in your portfolio, Tim, that are lesser known names that we'd love to spend some time unpacking. So we're going to do that just after this break where we hear from our sponsors. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. So as we said, plenty of lesser known names, some small holdings that aren't often spoken about in the equity mates community. So let's have a chat about those. A company we'd love to start with is Intuitive Surgical, which is one of the coolest $100 billion companies that few people have actually heard of. So can you tell us a bit about the company? Well, you'll only start hearing it if, you know, if you're a man of my age when you start thinking about things like <laughs> prostate cancer and, you know, the stuff that you don't want to think about. The thematic is the modernization of healthcare. It's basically improving surg- uh, surgery and surgery techniques. Uh, it enables physicians and hospitals to improve outcomes for patients. So it's, a, it's robotic surgery. Mm. They've got a product called Da Vinci. Uh, it lowers the total cost to treat 
each patient episode. It's a robot technology. It's got better imaging. Uh, it takes out the tremors from like a, a surgeon has tremors. It takes all of that sort of stuff out. It's ergonomically designed. So a surgeon doing difficult surgery doesn't need to, you know, in a, in a weird position to do it. They can actually stand comfortably looking at a screen and the system does it. And it does it through a smaller hole, better outcome. Like it works for the patient, better outcome. It works for the surgeon, better outcome. And the hospital gets uh, more successful outcomes and lots of health funds pay hospitals on good outcomes. That is, they penalise them on bad outcomes. Um, it's got a first mover advantage. Uh, what else? I mean, it's got it's got nine million procedures head start on on its competitors. Like most of its competitors don't even have FDA approval yet and won't for a couple of years. It's already got hundreds of these units sitting out there in training hospitals, training surgeons. Like there'll be surgeons who who will never use anything else because they've been trained on it. That's just a wonderful first mover advantage in our in our book. And if people don't know what we're talking about, it's definitely worth a Google image search because it's it's pretty crazy to look at. Um, oh, it's outstanding. Yeah, mm. it's it's a beast. There's some other things too, but that's the big product. They've got another one, but I, like that, like you don't want, you don't have half an hour on this. No. <laughs> oh wow. We, we are uh, Bryce has clearly just googled. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, we do have a lot to cover, but one when we were looking at. Uh, Hyperion's portfolio, one of the interesting things we found, well, I guess we assumed was that uh, you have a clear thesis on luxury goods. Hyperion owns Hermes, uh, Kering and LVMH, three of the biggest luxury goods retailers in the world. So can you talk us through uh, your view on on luxury goods? So it's just built on the structural demand for luxury products. I mean, the reality is it's very resistant to cycles. They produce very high quality products. They've got decades of experience doing this. Some of their products are aimed at a social set that are really the top 1%. And you may, may or not be aware that the top 1% of, um, American wealth anyway is greater than that owned by the bottom 90. That's a bit scary. So yeah, the, yeah. Gap in, the wealth gap has, hasn't been this large since 1927. So the uber-rich um, spend their money on luxury products and it's very resilient. We sold one company during the start of the pandemic, Moncler, we owned. Lots of reasons we sold it, but 1600 US dollar puffy jackets probably weren't going to sell well uh, in the middle of a pandemic. Um, but the reality is that's, that hasn't been the case with, I mean, you know, Hermes, they produce handbags that cost 30,000 euros. Mm. No, it's crazy. It's unbelievably crazy. I mean, they're collectors' items, and women line up for them. You know, yeah, so it's a whole other they world. Sell, they sell for multiples of the purchase price if they're rare, because you just can't walk into a shop and buy them. You've got to be known. It's you know, it's a bit like it's a bit like Ferrari, except we we sold Ferrari too because we just didn't think they'd got their head around the ESG component, which is you're just not going to be able to build your business on um, internal combustion engines for the next 20 years because most countries will start phasing them out in 2030. California, for example, I'm, I may have this wrong, it's either 30 or 35, it's basically said no more um, internal combustion engines. Mm. Like, what are you going to do there? I mean, Ferrari without a petrol engine? Can't see it. <laughs> no. Well, I'm sure we will say <laughs> I, it. I, yeah, they're not going to shut up shop. They'll, they'll have to figure something out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they've already got hybrids, but it's challenging. So, you know, like 
Our view is we don't want to be in a company that can have a permanent step down in the value of its capital because we've missed some company-changing moment. Mm. And Ferrari, we saw that potential, uh, but you don't, I don't see that with these, these ones. They're not big weights in our portfolio, by the way. They've held, their prices have held up so well, you know, they're at very full valuations in our mind. So they're sort of 2% holdings each, mm. not like Tesla, which is at 12. So another thematic that uh, Hyperion appears to be pretty bullish on is payments. We've spoken about Block, but you own both Visa and MasterCard. So uh, why is this theme appealing and how remote do you think the risk of crypto and blockchain is to disrupting the payment rails of Visa and MasterCard and their market positions? We've looked a lot at blockchain, but it just doesn't have the processing speed to handle the number of transactions. I'm a big fan of blockchain as an idea. Um, It's really clever. Its processing power is measured in the thousands of transactions a second and Visa and MasterCard need millions a second. Until computers catch up, it's not a goer. PayPal and Block have added crypto, but the margins are ridiculously small, and so it's not a big contributor. I can't see Visa and MasterCard adding crypto. I mean, I, I don't know. I, mean, it's, it's not, it, I, I don't know enough about what their innards look like to, to give you that insight. It's, they're rails. They, you know, they're, they're terrific in what they do. Um, I think my, both of them will be glad to see customers traveling again because that's where they make most of their money. Certainly, yeah, they made a yeah. truckload out of me in Canada. <laughs> Every time you slap that card down, they, you know, they just smash you. So, yeah. So yeah. that's where they make their money. Yeah. Bryce had to find a way to shoehorn crypto into this conversation. Ah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, we could keep speaking about uh, growth stocks all day, but uh, as well as Hyperion, you're also interested in, I guess we've grouped them as alternative assets, yeah. agricultural land, uh, carbon. Um, and so mm. we wanted to sort of spend the last few minutes of this conversation uh, talking about that. Sure. So you chair uh, Packhorse Pastoral, a fund that is looking to acquire, I think, now correct me if I'm wrong, 2 million hectares of agricultural land over the next five years. So correct. can you uh, just talk talk to us about this work? Why agricultural land and um, how are you going on the journey to 2 million hectares? Do you know who owns lots and lots of agricultural land? Billionaires. Why? Because <laughs> yeah. it's grown at a compound rate of 7 to 7.5% per annum for the last 20 years. And actually if wow. you take longer periods and you go back and slice it into any 10-year period, you'll get somewhere about 6 to 7%. That's before the yield. That's just the underlying value of the land. Why? Because the product it produces is in demand as the world population grows and, uh, and countries in Asia take people out of poverty into middle class. They demand access to high-quality food and protein. The demand for clean, green product from Australia is, is there. So, But the sad fact is over the last 100 years, um, and actually longer, 200 years, we've mistreated our agricultural land, not, not, not out, of any, um, out of any malice. What we've done is we've brought over the management practices that were used in the UK where it rains just about every day of the year and we've just overused fertilisers and we've had lack of regard for soils and our focus is just on the farmland that we can re- re- rejuvenate and regenerate by using natural practices um, they've been proven this is this is not voodoo uh, changing the way that you graze the cattle 
we just add capital to business uh, to um, to properties that are degraded, and frankly, it makes a huge difference. We can we can increase the number of cattle we run on it uh, on each property. Uh, that increases the yield and it increases increases the uh, value of the property. It's a property play, but the nice part about it is if you do all these things right and you follow the formula, you will also add more grass and more leaf and more leaf through photosynthesis puts more carbon, carbon dioxide into the ground as carbon, soil organic carbon, and the government pays you for that as well in the form of Australian carbon credit units. And, you know, last year they were trading at 14 bucks a unit and today they're trading at 40 something a unit, having recently hit 60. There's real money in this in the future. I mean, carbon's a longer burn story, but certainly the property play of buying cattle properties is actually good for the environment. And cattle burp methane, by the way, so we're adding legumes that actually reduce the amount of methane, which is a very active greenhouse gas. So that's that's part of the process is to reduce the emissions but also get um, carbon into the ground and undo the damage that we've done. In the last 100 years, we have unsequestered, if that's the word you can use, millions of years worth of sequestered CO2 and what did we expect? Like there would be no consequences. It's called climate change. So mm. we need to stop emitting the carbon by burning fossil fuels, but we also need to get undo the damage by getting the carbon dioxide back into the ground. So, Tim, for uh, those of us that can't buy or can't quite afford agricultural land or uh, don't yeah, own agricultural yeah. land to get carbon credits ourselves. Uh, That's why we have a fund. Goodness. Yeah, well, I was going to say there are <laughs> there are ways uh, for retail investors to access it. Your fund, there's some uh, listed agricultural plays. Uh, one of there Bryce's are. best best investments of last year was an ETF tracking the carbon price for people like uh, Bryce and I who are interested in, I guess the uh, the investment opportunity that comes from these decarbonisation initiatives. Um, how do you think about some of those options and uh, are there any sort of watch outs uh, for us as we navigate this this world of alternative assets? Absolutely. So the first starting point is self-education. It's new in terms of the carbon sequestration component. Packhorse has, has registered, is the right word, the largest soil organic carbon project in Australia on, and it's only on 13,000 hectares. So it's only just... Uh, nascent. But I encourage you to read uh, wherever you can on this. There's uh, there's some books that, that are worth reading. There are plenty of articles. Go to our Packhorse website. We've just got loads of white papers and interesting information there to have a look through. I mean, by the way, Packhorse Pastoral Company uh, is an unlisted public company and investments are only for sophisticated investors. So it's not just a standard retail product. I should say that up front. But there's plenty of education. We run ESG seminars where we talk about what this is doing for the future. And I, I just think it's worth educating yourself. This is climate change is going to come and hit us between the eyes in the next seven years. I like I know everybody talks about oh one and a half degrees and two degrees. I mean I, I get this all the time. What difference does two degrees make? But they're average temperatures. The last ice age we had, the average temperature dropped four degrees and there was two kilometres of ice above Manhattan. Wow. I just let that sink in. So average temperatures do count because it creates massive um, massive changes to the weather as opposed to the climate, you know. So isn't any wonder we're having one in 1,000-year floods. 
Mm. This is all part of the whole process. Mm. So please educate yourself. I mean, that's all I can beg people to do is start reading as much as you can. This is going to be a hot thing. I mean, I will make one point. Um, I also chair a business called EMI, uh, which rates public companies on their global carbon efficiency. And the one statistic that jumped out of me when that business was looking at global companies is that the trillions of dollars of unpriced carbon risk that's sitting on balance sheets all around the world, that is businesses who are carbon inefficient and when border adjustment mechanisms or carbon taxes finally come in, as they will, they must, will go broke. Wow. Well, I think the the, yeah. the second Sorry, half of the negative, but but there's money to be made in this. Follow the money. Why did Mike Cannon yeah. Brooks and Brookfield make a bid for AGL? They didn't do it for the fun. Like it's it's a great yeah. idea and yeah. very good for the planet. But I'm sure they did it to make money as well. Yeah. I mean, the the second half of this conversation talking about you know the existential risk of climate change definitely puts the first half of the conversation when we're talking about what software companies are going to win in perspective. <laughs> um, but, I, but I guess if we tie the second part of that conversation back to the first, you're obviously incredibly passionate about using uh, investor resources to drive climate action with Packhorse. But how do you think, how do you take that passion and then apply it back to these software companies and these growth companies you're looking at? When you when you think about Absolutely. companies like Spotify and Roku, uh, yeah. who are, you know, software companies online, um, yeah, how, how does that analysis work? How do you think about They that? are ridiculously carbon light. So if you're going to invest in things, have a look at the efficiency of their carbon footprint. Now, that's not to say, I mean, I'm not the sort of person that says never invest in another fossil fuel company. We need fossil fuels. If you shut them all off tomorrow, millions of people in the Northern Hemisphere would just die from cold. So mm. clearly you can't do that. Um, it's got to be a stage process. But And some of them will make out like bandits over the next 10 to 20 years and they'll be the really efficient ones who can suffer a carbon tax because they're so efficient in using their carbon. This is something people, uh, investors need to educate themselves about because there will be real money to be made on one side and massive amounts of money to be lost when that carbon risk gets priced. In our portfolio, we have a very carbon light portfolio that is very carbon efficient. Most of the businesses we've gone today have very light footprints when it comes to carbon. Mm. And we think that's super important. That's a, that's a, a, a standard tenant of of Hyperion's process is to understand the carbon intensity um, of the business that they invest in. So, Tim, I'm going to throw one question at you without notice and uh, completely fair if you don't have an answer front of mind. But when you were speaking about that billions or trillions of dollars worth of carbon risk sitting on balance sheets, I wonder, is there a company that has a lot of uh, this carbon risk, this climate risk that might surprise us that you wouldn't expect to have a lot of that carbon risk sitting on their balance sheet, but when you look under the hood, it really does. I'll, I'll turn it back on you. So I'll give you an example. So <laughs> uh, we've looked at companies like Santos, Woodside. They've got real challenges. Yeah. But there's a business called Saudi Aramco, which is ridiculously efficient in because it's large, it has no debt, and it's efficient, and it rates pretty well on that. So really? that's why you've got to look. Just put every petrol company into a pot and say they're all rubbish and yet there's one that actually rates better than half the businesses here in Australia that aren't in the fossil fuel industry. Wow. 
We would not have expected no. that. <laughs> no. There you go. Few people do. Well, Tim, we have reached the end of our uh, discussion today, so thank oh, you shame. so much. Uh, wow, well, look, I, d- don't say that. Well, there's plenty more opportunity to come on the show, that's for sure. Yeah, there's always the, next The content time, yeah. train never stops, and uh, we've got some uh, exciting things coming up later this year that uh, we would love uh, to hear comments and, and involve you in. So this won't be the only time this year, and uh, but we do appreciate you jumping off a plane and uh, speaking to us, I'm sure uh, feeling a little worse for after all that jet lag. So no, thank I'm you very good. much. It was, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Absolute pleasure. Equitymates Investing Podcast is a product of Equitymates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.